Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. Probably the easiest thing I've ever done. The medication comes in the mail and it's very easy to use. I've been able to live my normal lifestyle and I've lost 20 pounds already and I've never felt better. It changed my life. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hi, kids. Do you like violence? Are you sick to death of pussyfooting around the truth while being constantly fed lies by news and big tech tyrants? If so, then come join me, Dan Smots, on The System Is Down, where we get weird, have fun, and dig into all the dangerous taboo topics like conspiracies, politics, religion, culture, current events, and everything your family just prays you don't bring up around the Thanksgiving dinner table. And I know that reality is scary to some people, so if you're easily offended, just ignore this and go back to making cat memes or whatever. But if you're ready to change the world for the better, come join me on The System Is Down at TSIDpod.com or wherever you get podcasts. That's T-S-I-D-P-O-D. Because the system is down and truth is taking over. Ladies and gentlemen, you are now entering the Second Big Comics Podcast, starring Mark Clare and Renzo Martinez. In brightest day, in blackest night, no evil shall escape my sight. But those who worship evil's might beware my power, Green Lantern's light. And, and let me tell you, I say it as a 26-year-old man, I still get excited whenever I get to read the Green Lantern oath on paper. Something about it just reaches out to me. And that is what we're covering today, but with a twist. Welcome back to the Second Print Comics. Today we're covering Green Lantern, Earth One, Volume One. But we can't go on this journey alone. No, a quest needs a team, and like all teams we we need we need the wise old sage we've got once again mr mark claire joining us as always mark how's life Remso, it's great to be here. What what would you say I am uh, you know, in an analogy to this week's episode? Am I like the the Kilowog to your Hal Jordan or 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 what? I think I think that's not not the Carol. No, Ferris. that, that would be, be really weird. weird. A, a Kilowog figure, someone who's on the journey but is a few miles ahead of Hal, where we find him. Uh, Mark, uh, before we go ahead and get going, we've got some house notes. We've been doing these giveaways here and there every so often, and to great success, we have been able to pull them off. What, what was the first one? It was the first one we did. It was when we started all the way back in episode one. That was with the Jim Lee X-Men issue ones. Yeah. 
Exactly. That's when you had the stash of those X-Men number one. Somehow, I don't know how you found a whole bunch of one of the most valuable comics of all time, but you were able to do it, and we were able to provide those to some of our, our great listeners. Right. As, as priceless as Weimar Republic dollars. We found a bunch of those, and we gave those at the time just for reviews on iTunes when we were just starting off, and th- those went away in like a week. Then, I think it was like four or five months ago, I found a whole bunch of um, X-Force issue one copies. These, you know, we're, we're seeing a trend here with the X's and the and the overprinting, and, and we went ahead and said, "Hey, new patrons at any level, go ahead and sign up, and I'll mail these these copies to you." Well, you know, we've been very, very lucky, very blessed, and because I'm so proud of our success, and you are too. I went ahead and I went over to my local comic book shop, and I'm like, "How do we really treat people and show our appreciation?" So what we're doing right now is we're doing another giveaway, but this is more than just a comic. This time we're giving out two prize sets for the first two new patrons we get at any level, plus a five-star review on any podcast app of your choice. So it's an honest review, plus join us at any level. What we're doing is we're giving out a copy of Immortal Hulk Volume 1, plus Transformers Universe Issue 1. And then we've got the other set, which is, and I mean, folks, we're we're too kind to you, just too kind. We've got Deadpool versus Old Man Logan, plus a copy of issue one, The Deadly Foes of Spider-Man. Join up, sign up, go ahead and leave us a review, and you'll get one graphic novel and one comic. It, it, it can't get better than that. I don't know many shows like ours that go ahead and do giveaways like this just because we freaking love people. That makes me want to sign up and leave a review. It'd be kind of awkward if you did that. But that's just that's that's going too far. That's like the inception joining. It just it, it, like it, it counts. <laughs> but does it? Yeah. And I see no reason to send myself as little as five dollars a month to access all the content that I create. That seems that seems like an odd path. So I won't take that path. But we encourage you all to take that path if you've been a fan of the show, if you like what we're doing. Uh less than a Starbucks. Less than well, it depends on what you get. If you get a fancy latte, it's less. If you get just a regular coffee, it's just slightly more. But either way, for damn near close to a Starbucks a month, you can access all of our exclusive bonus audio content. And there is a plethora of it. We have Remzo Rants Weekly as well as Remzo versus the MCU. Those are the regularly scheduled shows. And then I am the one who handles the very irregular shows uh, with Claire Continues and the Random Marvel Comics Podcast as well as upcoming soon and we just finished the WandaVision recaps with our friend Dan Smots of the system is down but we are also going to be doing Falcon and Winter Soldier recaps. hell yeah exactly how I don't know how we'll find the time I don't know but we're going to be watching it anyway so I may as well tell you lovely people about our thoughts on it as well so tons and tons and tons of exclusive content for somewhere around a Starbucks a month find it all patreon.com slash second print and besides I mean if you want to get real crazy here we've got an upcoming journey in the mystery call where folks can go ahead and chat with Mark and I pick our brains get sneak previews of what's coming on or just tell us how we're right or wrong about so many things that we've gone ahead and spewed out over the months and you know the, the other thing Mark I I, I love, I you know, Christmas is my favorite holiday, but with this show, with the, everything we're doing, it's like Christmas every month. We're mailing out hardcover graphic novels, like on, on a pretty regular basis now, at least once or twice a month, we're having to go ahead and run over to our local shops and go ahead and then run to the post office and mail these out to people. It adds a little bit of time to our day, but it is one of the one of the coolest perks that we've got on here. And the, the collections that people are now building up, especially for those first time folks that were like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let Mark and Remso take the wheel 
and go ahead and build up my graphic novel collection. People are getting freaking excited about this, and they're loving what we're sending out. So please, folks, from the bare basic to the bare awesome, we got you covered. So might as well take advantage of getting the jump start on your stuff today with this new graphic novel comic giveaway we're doing. Go ahead and jump in, because we've only got two. Indeed. What what better way, especially for new fans out there that are just starting to build up their collections, what better way to do so than to let us build it for you? It's really it's one of the most fun things I get to do uh, for our Patreon. Like I love recording the bonus shows. I love all this extra stuff that I read to do those shows. Uh, but there's really no true joy like that of getting to personally pick out a graphic novel for somebody else. The hardest part of that is is not ripping it open myself and, and digging into yes. it myself. I have to really resist, especially because we're buying the real hardcover. So most of these are coming, you know, plastic sealed and everything. So you know we didn't dive in and get our greasy mitts on them. You get the virgin reading. Indeed, indeed. So that's uh, that's about it. Anything else? No, I think we can head right into things now. All right, perfect. Uh, Today we're covering Green Lantern Earth One, Volume One. Recently what we've been doing is we've been talking more about, you know, the what-if stories, the Elseworld stories, stories on infinite Earths, uh, parallel realities. And uh, much like two weeks ago, we went ahead and covered... Um, Ultimate Spider-Man before that a while back we had done Ultimate X-Men so now I think if you're if you're a new listener you, you'll be fine but if you're an old listener who's just now getting into all of these new theories and types of stories and everything else you should be a little bit accustomed to this idea of retcons parallel worlds alternate timelines everything from Flashpoint to Deadpool noir we've kind of balanced things out and this is another version of that uh the Earth One series is an original graphic novel series that came out. I think it started in 2009, 2010, way, way, way back when I was, you know, just a young and in high school. And the idea of this was to create um, original stories, self-contained stories that took place in a more realistic world. Some would say a more cinematic world because of how things translate on screen. What they wanted to do is they wanted to say, if these heroes existed in our Earth, what would they actually be like? Would they be all heroic? Would they be all powerful? What does the damage look like from all those super battles? All those questions are asked. And what we've seen is we've seen Earth One Superman, Batman, Teen Titans, Wonder Woman, and perhaps my favorite of this entire lineup, Green Lantern, because what they basically try and do is reintroduce classic fabled characters into a modern contemporary environment, much like what the Ultimate Universe did. Now, Mark and I have some different opinions on the Ultimate Universe, but before we jump into this, Mark, two questions. One, what was your familiarity of Green Lantern coming into this? And secondly, when you look at the idea of, oh, wow, there's another universe, there's a whole other thing basically showing me what I've kind of seen before-ish, what, what, was, what was your mindset going into it? How much time do you have? That's like, this, this could be a couple podcasts in and of itself. But um, as far as Green Lantern, when I got into comics in the 90s, uh, Hal Jordan was not the Green Lantern. He had actually he was actually a villain when I first started getting into comics. This was kind of during the parallax phase. And the Green Lanterns at the time were, yes, actually, actually, I think he had the yellow ring and may have been Warrior or something like that at the time. But there was, of course, my my good friend, my, my good friend. He still had a bowl pal, cut. The bowl cutted man himself. 
Guy Gardner. And also this is when Kyle Rayner, uh, who we just discussed on last uh, last week's episode uh, in the Justice League, he was really coming into his own as the current Green Lantern at that time. So um, in terms of Green Lantern, Hal Jordan, uh, growing up, I wasn't exposed to a whole lot other than when I would go back and read, you know, older DC stuff or read Crisis on Infinite Earths, that sort of thing. Uh, when I did get back into comics, uh, maybe seven or eight years ago, I did dive into a lot of the the um, Jeff Johns Green Lantern stuff that has come out since that time. So I read, you know, when when Hal Jordan returns and a lot of that series beyond that, I read some of Jeff Johns New 52 Green Lantern. So I, I read a lot of the major stories since then, you know, Blackest Night, Brightest Day, all of that stuff. So I, I think over the last few years, I've become fairly, fairly familiar with at least the, the modern Green Lantern lore, uh, largely as it's been portrayed by Jeff Johns. Uh, same basically goes for me. I, I started coming in around... Uh Green Lantern Rebirth, and then there was his Green Lantern series. And then yeah, I think I call Rebirth. it Reborn. I'm gonna, I'm getting, getting it, my it's, wires it's, crossed. It's, it's, it's all the same thing. It's like Heroes Reborn and the new Heroes Reborn, which I will not be reading. But that's neither here nor there. Uh, yeah, w- when it comes to Green Lantern, what really intrigued me about this hero is that he kind of combined what some would consider like the magical elements with the more space age elements. So he was a hero that was in space, but there's a lot of mythology and lore and, you know, crazy mystical stuff that goes on with who the green lanterns are. What, what, you know, what, what always also really surprised me was growing up. My green lantern was John Stewart primarily because I was a product of the justice league animated series. So, you know, this idea of many people not only having the mantle of green lantern, but there being a bunch of people who are green lantern, it's different. Because there's a Green Lantern for everyone, and they all serve a very distinct purpose. They, you know, especially the the Green Lanterns from Earth, because they could not be more staunchly different from each other, personality-wise and background-wise. And then when you get into the Green Lanterns from other Earths, it... It creates a different feeling because it's not like when, you know, a hero dies or a hero quits and somebody else takes his place. It's these guys all have their own adventures and their own challenges. And there's always so much going on. And even when they do team up and do stuff, um, it's almost like you're dealing with two very different heroes, despite having the same names, despite having the same powers, despite being part of the same core. Green Lantern was really one of those stories where it's like, yeah, we can have like a collective identity. But there's going to be an adventure and a challenge and bad guys and, you know, awesome planets galore for everybody. Yeah, I'd say the Green Lanterns, like you've touched on here, are it's one of those uh, mantle roles that can get passed from person to person. But for whatever reason, uh, the particular mantle of Green Lantern, despite the fact that it, you know, changes who's holding it or sometimes like there's like four or five people all from Earth holding a type of lantern or for some reason or a type of ring, uh, even if they have to kind of finagle what those are or why they all get them at once. But they've always been able to keep all these lanterns to have very distinct personalities. Uh, I mean, to the point that you couldn't even call, like you, like you said, you couldn't even call them the same hero. They just happen to share a ring and the powers, and that's about it. Personality-wise, they've all always been very, very distinct from one another, which is really impressive, especially across, we're talking across decades and writers and, and that sort of thing. So that's uh, a really unique thing in comics to be able to have such unique voices uh, carried over through several decades. Definitely, and apart from just the different lanterns, uh, the, the thing that was always, you know, 
kind of kind of funny in a way, you know, as somebody that is a giant collector, especially of different eras, the Bronze Age, Golden Age, Silver Age. I usually always say that the original versions of these characters are the best, but I think we covered it last week in the Justice League of America episode. You and I both agree that in terms of Green Lantern specifically, Hal Jordan's not our favorite. We don't hate him. He's just not our favorite. Sure. Yeah. I mean, for me, I, like, how, like learning about Hal Jordan has just been a, an exercise in looking into the past for me. Because I, I ne- like I said, the only Hal Jordan I grew up with was this crazy parallax who lost his mind and destroyed his home city and was a weird time traveling villain in a in in a what was it? T- crisis in time. Zero hour. Crisis Zero in time. hour. Yeah. Yes. That is on our on our list. We're, we're going to have to we're, we're going to have to huddle at some point. We've been we've been d- discussing how to handle all the crisis events on this show because we want to cover them. But I don't know. We, that I think alone is a crisis itself. That is, that is its own crisis indeed. But because I kind of feel like before we actually dive into any singular crisis event, we have to sort of tackle the first one. And to do that is it's an it's a huge task of undertaking. It's going to take more than one episode to do it justice. That's just I'm not going to even try to pretend we can just zoom through crisis on infinite earths in under two hours. No, we're, we're going to have to tag team like other people to fill in for some of us at <laughs> some point, so. because I don't know if I could do like a six parter we might have to have some guest hosts for that um i mean it's 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 gonna be a lot i'm 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 intimidated i'm not gonna lie i'm intimidated you, we'll you see, all can we're hear open it. to feedback we're open to feedback <laughs> on how to handle uh this issue but i do think it's important uh to really lay out that that basis before we dive into the other crisis events because they really do play off one another when it comes to dc marvels marvels had events and uh crisis-esque situations but they don't play on each other in the way that dc's crisis events really do kind of lead one into the other. Very true, which leads me to my second question. So I, ironically, and I wasn't going to bring this up, I, I appreciate you bringing this up, uh, Earth One as a series actually spun out of Final Crisis. Oh, I had no idea. Yeah, so this oh, is... because the, that was one of the, the one of the remaining, like one of the 52 Earths that came out of that? Is that yeah. what it was? Yeah, so this is Earth One, and and now if you're a current DC reader, we have, like, the whole the whole thing has been redone again. Like, I just picked up uh, Crime Syndicate issue one, and I'm like, oh, there's another Earth three, and there's another one. And oh, they, not, the order isn't the same anymore. So with, with that said, we've been talking about the need to go ahead and do reboots. And often when you do a reboot, you have to set it in a brand new continuity. We've covered a lot of the Marvel stuff uh, for the Ultimate Universe, but this is DC's attempt to do that. But they did it differently. The weirdest thing with DC is when they reboot boot, they can never do it all the way yeah. ever. So that always ca- at least if you're, if you're to me if you're going to either reboot or don't either just reboot the damn thing or don't and just and just let things go. But DC always tries to have their cake and eat it too. I think the most glaring example is the New Fifty Two when they rebooted all the titles uh, and and rebooted all the continuity. Oh, except for Batman and Green Lantern, that's just going to keep going exactly where it was from. And somehow that's supposed to all make because sense. he's Batman. Because because Batman. Uh, so with that said, you see this on the list. You go ahead and pull up the book, and you see it's another one of these. What were your thoughts? Like, was it oh shit? What's with Remso and these new New Age Millennial reboots? No, I was actually looking forward to this one because I I have never read any of the Earth One titles, 
and they have been relatively acclaimed. I've heard really good things about them. I just have never taken the time. I actually own a, a physical copy of Batman Earth One and just haven't read it yet for some reason. Uh, so again, as this show often does, it gave me the impetus to dive into an area that I might not have gotten around to diving into myself if I didn't have that impetus in front of me. So uh, I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful that I was kind of sort of forced to actually dive in and check out this Earth One. And I don't know, for some reason, I mean, like I, I hadn't been exposed to Earth One itself. For some reason, I just, I like this approach and I can't really put my finger on why I do, but I like this approach more than I do the Marvel Ultimate Universe approach. And I can't really say why because they are kind of the same thing. Uh, the Ultimate Universe is supposed to be sort of newer, younger versions of these characters sort of coming into their own in the modern day. And from what I can tell, Earth One seems to be newer, younger versions of these characters coming into their own in the modern day. Uh, for some reason, I like the Earth One approach. I don't like the Ultimate Universe approach. Maybe to me, I think I, I think I know what the difference is in my, in my mind about why Ultimate Universe seems more intimidating to me is because with the Ultimate Universe, there was a solid, you know, 15 years or so of stories and continuity. So to me, it's, it's like it feels too much like having to dive into a full universe to get the full picture. Whereas with this Earth One stuff, I know each character just has a volume or two or three at most. Uh, so it feels a little less intimidating about being able to dive into it. So that's and, what it is. And you don't have to, yeah, I mean, you don't have to worry about crossovers either because they specifically said that while they are open to doing like, you know, an Earth One Justice League and stuff like that that's gonna be something they do far far down the road because like i i got this like six years ago i think and then earth uh uh green lantern earth one volume two came out like in august of 2020 so they take their time with these and i mean these are you know we'll, we'll jump into them in a minute but these are these are books that they put a lot of detail into i mean um the superman one was what kicked it off then batman came out later the batman earth one has actually impacted some of the stuff in the actual comics not in terms of story necessarily but a lot of the elements from that it went into the regular batman comic it actually influenced the writers of gotham and apparently um the the guy who's directing uh the Batman with Robert Pattinson, apparently this was one of his favorites. So like we're seeing these comics, they weren't just one and done, you know, forget about it. Like they were supposed to be real clear, singular, succinct stories that they're like, you know, take four or five years if you need to just make sure it's good because we got it. We got to sell these out because we're asking people to spend, um, you know, a lot of time and money on, one single original graphic novel, which for original graphic novels, those are either big successes or they're big failures because they don't do this often. Yeah, it makes sense. And uh, I, I think even just for me, like I, I enjoyed the, uh, the ultimate Spider-Man story, but even with that, I felt like to get the full picture, because there's a lot of seeds planted, I felt like, man, I, to get the full picture here, I got to go read 85 more issues or whatever it might have been. Uh, whereas this, I read this volume and I felt like, all right, I've 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 read this volume. I've, I've gotten what I need to here. If I want to read the other volume, I can go do that. Uh, but I don't feel like there's like literally like, you know, 50 hours of reading I have to do to get the full picture. Absolutely. Here. So without any further ado, let's go ahead and jump in to Green Lantern Earth One. Uh, what we see at the very beginning is not our humble hero. What we see instead is that we're inside of a spacecraft somewhere off in outer space where we don't necessarily know right now. But we see a couple of astronauts. Uh, they're in a ship and what they have is this incoming transmission coming in from another ship, a Ferris ship. For those that are, you know, know a little bit about Green Lantern, you know, Ferris Industries is what 
um, you know, does a lot of tech in the world of DC. It also is the company that Al Jordan works for. So we're starting to see that they're, you know, these, they're bringing in these elements very early on. Um, and then we go on to the next page. We see this giant spaceship, something that is not anything that we have in our world. What we can tell is that, yeah, while this is based in, quote, reality, they're still bringing in some of those giant sci-fi elements. This giant ship called Ferris 6, which they're calling a Monarca Energy Palladium Mining ship, which is an expedition operated by Ferris Galactic. It, it gives me very uh, 2001 Space Odyssey vibes. So what we can tell is that when, you know, when, when Hal Jordan's first introduced in the original comics, it's all earthbound. The fact that we're already jumping into space once, you know, once the reader understand, if you think you knew this as a, as a prior Green Lantern aficionado beforehand, hold on because things are about to change drastically. And I mean, the artwork on this, Mark, when I associate my thoughts of Green Lantern, it's always very bright, crystal clear, very Star Warsy in a sense. This is dark. Uh, the artwork is very like I want to say it's very punk like like it's not it's not like a Frank Miller type of artwork, but it's not supposed to make you think, "Ooh, ah, it's space. It's more like, damn, this space is actually kind of scary. It's definitely a portrayal of like a gr- sort of a gritty, grim portrayal of of space and spaceships, uh, as opposed to sort of I don't know, kind of like the flashier the flashier view of space we often see in in superhero comics, where everything just looks everything just looks like bright and shiny and happy, but this just looks like a treacherous place to be, and I think a lot of that uh, can be uh, sort of uh, can sort of be credited towards the art and the art the art style here, which I I really enjoyed throughout, especially I mean I think it just felt so appropriate for the setting. And I mean they they really want this to. To, to really get across to the reader that this is not the fantastical world of Green Lantern that you may have seen in like the Ryan Reynolds movie, really, because this actually came out a few years after that. So we have this idea of what it is. And now they're really trying to make it clear that this is this is going to be different so much. So um, the ship goes ahead and it lands on this unclaimed asteroid. And they're calling it Asteroid 895. So, I mean, what they're trying to show you right now is that space is no longer that much of a mystery. Space is no longer that giant uncharted thing. Space is basically commercialized. And what we see is a bunch of um, people. They're in these astronaut suits. We see somewhat we need. We see somebody named uh, Volkov. We see another dude named Durand. So we see a whole team of people, including someone named Jordan, which we'll get to in a second. And what happens is that captain who was on the ship earlier, she goes ahead and sends out a message saying, hey, the Finda, which is probably another uh, ship, the Finda struck a 17 ton load on 644. So Volkov is like, what? No. And you see everyone trying to throw a fit. What, what we can you know uh, see here is that these are contractors trying to find uh, ore and palladium and other rare minerals, and they're all trying to outcompete each other. So when one ship gets a contract and another ship finds a whole bunch of stuff, it just messes with each other. So this is the commercialization of space in, in a dark Elon Musk type of way. They're space mining mercenaries, basically. Yeah, basically. So the fact that they're here and, you know, when I always think of space, it's like, oh, isn't this awesome? These guys are just working. They're, they're just basically space miners and they're just like, shit, like this, this, this sucks. I would be thinking, wow, I'm in space. I'm doing all this cool stuff. But this is this is serious work. 
And at this point, they're trying to get, um, you know, everyone back onto the cruiser, because at this point, since there's no work to be done, they're just going to go ahead and be earthbound. So the captain's looking around. They're like, wait a second. I can't see everybody. Where's Jordan? Jordan, turn on your cam. So, you know, everyone is kind of excited except this Jordan guy. So, um, you know, Volkov comes over and he's looking at Jordan and he's like, well, I guess we're, we're going back to Earth. Right. And uh, Jordan responds back to everyone. And he's like, no. Nope. And, you know, Volkov looks at him. And he's like, what? And he's like, I'm not going back there. And this is when we see a full, you know, our first full appearance of Jordan. He's off in the corner in a spacesuit. He's got his mining tool. And how Jordan, you know, from from the typical comics is a real talker. He's a confident dude. He's the ace fighter pilot turned test pilot. What we see right now is that obviously he still has some of that adventurous spirit because he's in space mining, obviously, but he looks dark. He looks like a dude that's just not very sociable at all. And when he turns over and you see more of his face, he's like, I'm done with earth. And Volkov is like, what you, you're never going home. Seriously. Like you're just going to stay here. Is that even possible? Yeah, he's definitely a very uh, in stark contrast to the sort of uh, brash, confident, cocky, flashy sort of a uh, Hal Jordan uh, pilot Hal Jordan that we've seen in in sort of uh, regular DCU continuity. Uh, to see here, he's just like, like you said, he's uh, he's a minor, he's working, he's not he's not this like this like star fighter pilot or anything. And uh, you can tell if anything, he just seems like he seems like depressed about life. Like he's like, no, I'm not going back to Earth. I'm I'm done with Earth. And, and his Volkov's like, what? You're done with Earth? What the hell are you talking about? And, and I mean, I'm really glad you bring that up because the way that we introduce characters is often more important than what we see overall in terms of long term development, because the best thing to know when you're trying to develop a character's hero's journey is to know where they start. And often I felt with Hal Jordan in the past, they never had to do too much for him because, you know, there was a lot of exposition around him. People just knew who he was. I feel like for the first time, even as a comic book reader who liked DC comics and liked the Green Lantern Corps and stuff. This is really what for me, what felt like the first real introduction to the person of Hal Jordan, even better than what what uh, Jeff Johns did in Rebirth and Secret Origins. All really good. But, you know, it was really just that that was more of a retelling than it was anything else. And for me, it didn't really land, you know, stick the landing with that. Yeah, I mean, this almost seems like a new character, at least at least in the beginning, which I guess maybe is half the point of the Earth One uh, stuff. It's but they could have, but a, they could have named him something entirely different. Well, yeah, if you're going to do that, then I guess you could just have a whole new, literally a new character in that case. Yeah, like that. That was one of the things of this. I'm like, you know what? You could have just actually just done it entirely new. Like, there's no, and, and we'll see this continuing with the story. Like, there is like, okay, Ultimate Peter Parker is a lot like regular Peter Parker and stuff like that. This Hal Jordan is almost nothing like the regular DC Hal Jordan. Yeah, they kind of just took the name and created a new character and, and pasted the name on it. Kind of like, kind of like they do do. Ironically, do do. I said do do. Huh? Kind of uh, like they do do. They do uh-huh, uh, in DC, where they where they pass the the ring to various characters, and you know when a new character gets the ring, he's just a different person with the ring. Um, that's kind of like what they are doing here. They're just passing the Green Lantern mantle onto a different person named Hal Jordan, essentially, instead of uh, kind of developing it around what we know of as Hal Jordan. But I don't know. It's it's with these re reboots. I guess it's not really a reboot, but these sort of retellings of character origins. It's kind of 
a fine line here. It's like, what what does it make sense to change? Uh, and then, because uh, we can't just tell the same exact story or what's the point of doing this at all. But then at the same time, if you're going to change too much and change like the core of who characters are, why even call it a retelling of anything? Why not just make <laughs> an original story? So uh, yeah, I guess it's a, a line they always kind of have to straddle in some way. Yeah, and I mean, this this Hal Jordan, I mean, like, the writers are really trying to make it known. If you think you know him, you don't. We're, we're back to Volkov, and he's looking over at Jordan, who's still off in the corner, you know, doing his thing. And he's like, how long has it been, Jordan? And uh, Jordan's walking away. He's like, hey, I, I'm, I'm going to see what's over this ridge. Because earlier he mentioned, why, why would we leave? I think, I think I'm finding something. Something's a little bit odd earlier. So um, Volkov, you know, switches the channel so that way they can have a private conversation away from all the other miners. And they're like, no, seriously, how long how long has it been since you were on Earth? And uh, Jordan responds, it was uh, just after the arrowhead launched. And Volkov is like, what, the arrowhead? You mean when it was still NASA? That was like 10 years ago. And Jordan's like eight. And Volkov's like, Jordan, you you were NASA? That's hilarious. So now we can basically tell is that Jordan isn't just another miner. He was one of the first miners. And not just one of the first miners. He might be one of the miners who's been in space the longest. So any idea you had of sociable, jock-like, cocky fighter pilot Hal Jordan? This ain't it. No, it's definitely not. Uh, as we will find out going going forward here. It's, uh, it's yeah, I don't know. I could, I could I could go in loops to talk about to say the same thing over and over, but it's definitely a different character. Whether that's a, a bad thing or a good thing, we will leave up to the viewers, the readers, the listeners, all of you. Yeah, and, and while uh, Jordan is going around the corner, he he keeps getting this detection of this different metal, different from the other palladium and other ore that they've been uh, trying to look for. While you know uh, Volkov is just trying. To, trying to talk his ear off. I don't know if he wants to be friends or if he just wants to get more information, but he's like, you know, I still love the whole idea, exploration, bringing people together, all that stuff your generation believed in. They're really trying to make Jordan seem old instead of scrounging around for the metal that makes people's phones work and not even hoping to go beyond the solar system. But I never picture, but I never would have pictured Harold Jordan in NASA, not in a million years. So I, I like How this. How did you say his name just now? Harold, because it's different. Oh, I'm it always almost like, sounds like you turn Her- Harold into Hal halfway through. Yeah, like it's weird because he's never he's never Harold. He's just Hal. So, I mean, it's just one of those things. But I like what you mentioned earlier, because as I was trying to really paint the picture for people who have not read this yet, like this is like when I think of space, I still think of it like how I saw it growing up, like the space age, the space race, the beauty and the mastery of space and all of it can do. This is space without the specialness. This is almost like how we see space now. Yeah, which I that part I kind of like. I kind of like that it just shows a, a sort of a, a grimmier, probably more realistic view of what it would be like to be out mining for random metals like on the moon uh, and then not making it all glitz and glamour, which I don't know. It, it, at one point, at one part, it sort of helps the story and helps it helps you feel because because Hal is being presented here as a very sort of like gritty, dark character. Uh, so the setting is actually very fitting to him. But it's also seems odd based on what he's saying. Like, you know, he's saying, ah, screw Earth. I'm not going back to Earth. Um, What, you want to say this grimy, gross, <laughs> gritty moon? Like, what's wrong with you? So, but I guess that just kind of, you know, it's all it's all laying the groundwork of what this version of the Hal Jordan character is. Yeah. Uh, and, and we continue. Uh, Volkov's been just kind of putzing around while Jordan is looking around the other side of this asteroid. And he sees this metal piece come out 
of the ground as he kind of like kicks it around and he's like, ah, wait a second. This, this, this actually has markings on it. And what we begin to see is that as he's like hitting the ground and stuff, what he uncovers is an alien aircraft just randomly here. We haven't even gotten to aliens yet, but Hal has found something which is terrifying because it's just there. And, you know, I, I see it and it's like, what, what the hell is this giant spaceship doing there? So uh, he calls over Volkov and Volkov comes over the ridge and he sees Jordan on top of this alien spacecraft. And he's like, Jordan, what the hell? We're going to have to report this. I mean, you probably shouldn't even touch it. But what does Jordan do? He he ignores him and uh, he's he's breaking open the side door to actually get inside. And he looks at Volkov, who's like, oh, come on, man, we got to go back. This is pretty scary. And Jordan makes fun of him. And he's like <laughs> some noble explorer. So they go inside and it looks very very human like like it almost looks like the inside of one of their spaceships or something and they're just kind of walking around it's like something out of alien like it's it's not just regular sci-fi it's like sci-fi horror yeah there's uh there's wires hanging you know there's there's evidence of some possible destruction of some kind and it's dark and but it looks close enough to human that you know you kind of don't know what's going on prometheus this kind of reminded me of prometheus the film and uh, the, the next page goes ahead and really lays it on thick how strange this is. They go to the far end of the ship and they see this giant robot just there. And, you know, every, my first thought when I would see that would be like, oh, shit, what, what's going on? Jordan just looks at it and he's like, this is this is incredible. And uh, yeah, and, and he looks at it and Volkov is just wondering, like, is it dead? Is it alive? And Jordan responds, judging by the layer of dust on this thing, I'd say we're safe. So they keep kind of going through the through the ship. They're scavenging it. And all of a sudden they find this energy source coming up on their radar. They follow it to the to another end of the ship corridor and they see this giant green lantern. And there's really no fanfare here. It's like they turn a corner and it's just right there. And they're like, huh, an energy source for the ship. The crash had to be, I don't know, hundreds of years ago, even more. And they're still trying to figure out what's going on. Like they think it's a battery. They don't know what it is. They're still looking around. And as they turn the corner, uh, they see a dead purple alien. And, you know, I think Volkov is like, oh, God, is that guy dead? And if you look at it, he's he's a purple alien wearing what, you know, classic readers know is a green lantern ring and uniform. And, uh, you know, I'll just go ahead and spoil it. This is Abin Sir, but not the Abin Sir that we're accustomed to because this Abin Sir been dead for a long time. Yeah, this, uh, like I said, it looks like it had been hundreds of years and his body just looks like uh, somewhat decayed. Uh, as You know, it's hard to tell with the purple skin, but uh, yeah, he looks he looks pretty gross. This is not a this is not a fresh corpse by any means. Yeah. So what ends up happening is the, the captain of the ship ends up calling Volkov and Jordan to get back. They're like, listen, the contract's over. We're heading home. We're about to leave this rock and you need to head over here. So what they do is they're they're about to leave and they go around and uh, I think it's Volkov. He goes and he grabs the ring from the dead Abin Sir Green Lantern's hand. And as he does that, uh, something happened, kind of like Aladdin, where he grabs the lantern and the I'm sorry, the the lamp and everything kind of starts falling apart. Ironically, bad timing is they're about to leave. The whole ship begins to actually shake and fall off the ridge. It's probably because of how the ship landed and the fact that with all this movement going on between Jordan and Volkov, it's about to fall off. So um, Jordan is out at this point, it seems, and the ship is falling off the cliff and he starts screaming for Volkov. 
Uh, they end up, you know, uh, finding each other. Jordan gets back in time to find them. And as it's about to fall off, they're running out. So you see this giant thing. It's almost like some, a scene out uncharted. It's like they're running on top of the ship as the ship is falling backwards to jump back on the ridge. It's a fast and furious type of move right there. And uh, luckily, they go ahead and they get back to the ship. And as they're going back to the main ship, since this was kind of like a a lunar lander type of thing, it's going back to the main ship that has everybody. Um, Jordan is, you know, kind of getting a lecture by the captain. And at this point, he's like, well, you know, you might not be too mad. I found this alien ship and we've got what we think is a power source, which is in Volkov's backpack. And, you know, he, he pulls it out. And he puts the ring on, which, by the way, if someone's going to go ahead and take a ring off of a dead body, I'm at least going to wash it first. He just kind of puts it on. (laughs) Um, He he picks up the lantern to apparently charge the ring and this green energy starts admitting and it's freaking him out, freaks him out so much that he moves his hand and he blasts a hole through the ship and it throws him back. At this point, they are absolutely screwed, much like something out of uh, that movie of Sandra Bullock, Gravity. They're immediately getting sucked out. Jordan grabs onto a handle, grabs Volkov's hand, and as he's about to get pulled out along with the lantern that gets shot out, um, his hand slips, but Jordan is able to hold on to the ring. So Volkov just gets shot out and Jordan's looking at him and he's screaming no. And he is freaking out. Everyone on the other ship is staring at this giant travesty. They're like, Oh my God, what is happening? So as they're calling for him, what ends up happening? Volkov's body slams into the hull of the ship and everyone else, all the other miners are looking at it and they're just like, oh my God, he is dead. But what about Jordan? Jordan comes out as their ship explodes, but he's alive. He is covered in this giant green shield almost while he holds Volkov's ring and You know, at this point, everyone is just wondering what the hell is going on. So a lot has happened. Pretty badass here. Yeah, I mean, a a lot has happened in just a couple of pages. Yeah, and I do like that. I like that it. You know, that Hal did not just uh, instinctively put on the ring. Uh, Even in this scene, he has not put on the ring yet. He's just holding it. But even just holding it, um, it does enough to recognize him as the user or what have you uh, and surrounds him with that protective energy. But uh, yeah, I remember reading this when I, when I first saw uh, Volkov put on the ring, I'm like, what is this? What is Volkov? What is this guy doing with the ring? Uh, But that did not last very long. Uh, And I don't know. I don't know if that was just, uh, supposed to be, you know, just it's it's too powerful for him to handle or whatever, or if it's more towards the idea of these rings choose their their user, so to speak. They find a worthy one, and maybe Volkov just wasn't worthy, so uh, he probably shouldn't have put the ring on. Yeah, I mean, in in the mainstay DC universe, if you if you're not the designated owner of the ring, it won't work for you. And, and, you know, the other thing that, you know, is they're trying to build these stark differences. I mean, Abin Sir dies and his ring is passed on to Jordan. So the ring finds him. This is the exact opposite. Not only did he find the ring, but by anyone being able to basically begin to charge it and use its powers. What we are basically seeing right now is that Jordan is not special. And I think that's yeah. something to to really, you know, pay attention to, because that is going to make this a very different Green Lantern story than what traditional readers may be used to, where he is chosen because of his strength of will and character and everything. It's by destiny, whereas this is almost by mistake. Yeah. In the comics, it's very clear that the rings 
always like choose their user out of a selection of like basically whoever's around or whoever's on that planet at the time. Uh, whereas here it is the exact opposite. It's basically it's finders keepers. You know, it's whoever you put that ring on, you're a Green, Green Lantern now. So um, I don't know if I like that or don't like that, but it's, it's definitely a, a difference that they, they spell out pretty clearly here in the beginning. Yeah. I mean, it's very much in a way, not like King Arthur and the sword and the stone where it's destiny and it's assigned to somebody by fate. This is more like Lord of the Rings where, you know, anyone can hold the ring. It just happens to be Frodo who's burdened with it. So it comes with pros and it comes with cons. A very uh, adept, nerdy analogy. I, I just aim to please the people. But speaking of pleasing the people, we, we get our danger as if it hasn't been dangerous enough. Back on the asteroid where the ship was able to crash off into the bottom of the cliff, we're back inside and we see that giant robot. Its eyes glow as it detects an energy, which we can assume is the Green Lantern energy uh, that is protecting Hal Jordan. We're back above Hal Jordan is staring back into the giant freighter. Um, the Ferris freighter and everyone is looking at him and they're like, wait, is he moving? How is he alive? What's that stuff around him? And they're freaking out right now because he's, he's just emitting so much, uh, energy, so much radiation. So Jordan is, is freaking out too. He's like, Oh my God, I, I can breathe. I can hear myself talk. I like, I, I can fly now. So he's trying to figure this out because he's in shock. And, uh, what he, ha- what he does is he doesn't put the ring on. he, He's just holding it. So as he's trying to get accustomed to things and he lets go of the ring, he realizes that that giant protective energy field goes away. So what he has to do before he suffocates and freezes to death is quickly grab it uh, before he dies and actually put it on. So at this point, he's starting to realize that if I don't keep this ring on, I'm going to die in space. And as he gets it on and the energy field comes back to him, he flies over to the ship. Um, He can't talk with them. He doesn't have his communicator. So they're trying to gesture to each other. And one of the miners, Henson, wants to go over and save Hal, wants to open up, uh, you know, a a seal for him uh, off the side of the ship. But they, you know, they, they begin to realize, wait a second, that thing is emitting dangerous radiation. The captain goes over to the guy and he's like, I know this hurts, but we can't let Jordan back in here. Not while he's infected with that green energy, radiation, whatever. So Jordan is waiting by this window. He's like, OK, guys, let me in. And, and this is kind of sad. She she pulls up, you know, a high tech iPad or something like that. And she types risk too great. Can't expose crew to the radiation. Our thoughts are with you. And you see his face for the first time. This is the first time we see real emotion on Hal, who's just been like this. It's like a sad puppy. Yeah, like he's been like stoic, you know, Clint Eastwood this entire time, man of no name ish. And now he actually looks like, oh, shit, they mean it. And they're right. So he he just asked Sally to the prom and she said she already had a date with Jack the jock with Jack, the the quarterback. Sad, sad day. Oh, Okay. So, and I mean, everyone is, is really shook by this. Another one of the miners is like, listen, we can't just watch him die. And and they just have a discussion about this. And this whole time, uh, you know, Hal is just floating there being all sad and stuff. Next, you know, right behind him, that giant robot from the ship comes alive, flies and hits him from the back. And and I got to say for the artwork, um, I, I had not been familiar with this artist before. The artist is um, uh, Karina, uh, Karina Bechto. I did go back and look at some of her other stuff. I always thought this all seems kind of Star Wars-y, the way that they do space. Uh, she had actually done Star Wars uh, Legacy right before this, back in the Star Wars yeah. Legends canon. That explains a lot. 
Yeah. So, I mean, I, I really like it right now because the thing that I always kind of thought was cheesy of the other Green Lantern comics was all really bright and shiny and it looks almost cartoony. This is almost like a sci fi horror, which I really like. This is almost like uh, Frank Miller does Green Lantern or, or you know, style wise. Yeah. It, it reminds me of the films uh, Alien. It reminds me of Avatar in a way. All James Cameron films. So I think that's the best way to describe it. If James Cameron was directing a Green Lantern movie, I think it would be like this. Oh, man, I w- that wouldn't that be awesome. That would be awesome. You mean Ridley Scott? Well, if you're talking about Alien anyway. What did did, did Ridley Scott do? Who did Avatar? Uh, well, that's, that's James Cameron did Avatar, but really Scott is all is the alien guy. He did Alien. What did James Cameron do? A uh, whole bunch of shit, but not Alien. Huh. He might have worked on an Alien movie or something. I'm not sure, but I mean, Ridley Scott is the mind and director behind Aliens. I think James Cameron was supposed to do a sequel or something like that at some point. I know Ridley Scott did Prometheus. Yeah. yeah. Well, anyway, if you like that shit. You're going to love this shit. And the shit continues. This robot. A rare fact check here on Psychopathics. <laughs> the shit continues. And Hal is getting his, uh, or Harold. I don't even think they've called him Hal yet. It's so weird. It's so odd. I'll call him Hal for consistency's sake. Hal is getting his shit kicked in by this giant robot. It's attacking him and kicking him around like it's nobody's business. So Hal. You know what, what? it is? Ridley Scott did Alien and James Cameron did Alien. The sequel with Sigourney. Was Weaver. she not in the first one? She's in the first one. I, I don't know why I said with Sigourney. Oh. Weaver. Yeah, I mean she's she's in both of them. Yeah, but yeah, he he took he he came in and did the. Sequel. So I was not wrong. I was just not accurate. Right. Okay, you were you were eventually. I right. was in the ballpark. I was in the ballpark. <laughs> yeah, but uh, you know. Hal is getting his shit kicked in by this robot. And I got to say, it's really hard to make robots look really cool or unique in comics. But what I like about the drawing of this one is that they've got kind of like the exposed mouth and stuff. So it kind of looks like the Terminator in a sense. So they're really trying to make this one robot feel not like just another faceless, uh, you know, mechanical goon. It actually feels like a formidable foe. So so Hal is fumbling around. Try saying that a million times. Hal is fumbling around. And then he realizes, wait a second, this thing blew a a hole in the ship earlier. What if I try and blow up the robot? So he starts shooting lasers at the robot. Eventually, he's just like, you know what? Screw it. So they're doing the whole epic fly into each other classic move. And um, Hal actually seems to get the upper hand and he's just pushing this robot and he's just going farther and farther and farther. And everyone is back on the ship watching this epic space fight. And they're like, did did, did you all see that? Everyone saw that, right? So by the time Hal, you know, he's he's pushing this robot as fast and as far as he possibly can. The whole thing just explodes in this epic one page splash. Yeah, it looks like he came in with like, I don't know, like one one kind of final push of his fist because in that in that panel in that pull page panel where he explodes it kind of looks like he's delivering an uppercut or something that's going right through the the body it's like it's, it's like yeah, a falcon cool. punch to the nuts yeah. falcon it's yeah do manhunters have nuts? well he had the manhunter the manhunter not had anymore. teeth but not anymore true so yeah and speaking of not anymore it seems like all of hal's energy 
is disappearing. We see the light begin to go out. So while the robot is just floating off in a million pieces, it seems that Hal's ring has run out of Green Lantern energy and he's floating off and suffocating and the page goes black. So right now, what I can definitely say is one thing I love about this book, the action. They don't throw in thought balloons. They don't throw in lots of dialogue. It's just ass kicking. Yeah, it's, it's very show don't tell, which I like because that's kind of what comics should be. Uh, like we've discussed a few times, I'm a huge, huge, huge fan of a couple writers that do a lot of exposition, a lot of uh, prose like Alan Moore, Neil Gaiman. I love their work, uh, but it's called work for a reason because it takes work to, re- to get through them and to read them. And it is nice to sometimes just see a comic embracing the medium, uh, the fact that it's a visual medium and uh, really driving that home by showing you what's happening. I don't need uh, Hal Jordan's inner monologue during this battle um you know you could have had inner monologue where he says oh it looks like the lasers don't really i, I can kind of shoot the lasers oh maybe i should just fly into him maybe the, you don't need all of that you just see his you see his the look on his face you see you can tell what he's thinking and you see the actions uh that that are derived from that thinking but you don't have to see his whole thought process exquisitely laid out in uh you know in beautiful english prose you can just see it happening and understand what's going on which helps the story fly a lot yeah. faster too i mean and and the next uh, four pages really exemplify that. Hal wakes up. He wakes up, so he didn't die. And he looks to be in some type of medical bay lab. He's got wires all around him, kind of like Neo from The Matrix. He looks around, and you see this little like display case of this creepy alien spider thing jumping out at him. So he's freaking out. Turns around. There's a bunch of stuff in like display cases and, and stuff like that. He even pulls out this giant tube that was going down his throat. So obviously, somebody found him, and somebody's keeping him alive. This really is very Neo, Neo waking up in Matrix. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that that's that's what came to my mind. I mean, it's really trying to show you like this isn't just the the awesome fantastic futuristic world that we're accustomed to if you're a Green Lantern reader. Something's going to be scary. And for the first time seeing this, I think Hal is acting like anyone would. And, you know, he runs out of his medical bay and he's on this other planet, we can assume. You see these giant bug creatures flying through the air. You see structures. So, you know, you've got, um, you know, smart, sentient creatures there. And it looks like he's on an iceberg and he looks around. There are like a bunch of icebergs. So it's a very alien planet. He's looking around and what he realizes is that he's standing on ice and he's slipping. So he slips off and he's about to go ahead and fall off this giant glacier. And who comes over to save him? The great giant Kilowog himself. You, Kilowog. You, you see you see this giant pig like alien muscle bound dude and he comes over. He's like, whoa, come on. Let me let, let, let me help you up right there. I'm Kilowog Ev and we're on the same team. And you see that Kilowog is wearing a green uniform. But more strikingly, he has his own green lantern ring and he even pulls it up. He's like, look, I'm a lantern, too. So he picks up Hal and they go back into the medical bay. And for, for one, and, and this is what we'll answer in a second. My thought was, why is he speaking English? It's kind of a trope where it's like, oh, everyone in the galaxy speaks English. They're about to go ahead and explain that. 
I, I, I went through the exact same thing because that that always drives me crazy. Like, I can believe the wildest story you want to spin for me. But if two characters from different planets show up and they're all just speaking English right away, I got issues with that. But uh, yeah, that, that was my first thought. And like you say, like you're going to get into here, they they do immediately address it, thankfully. Yeah. And long story short, Kilowog is way more talkative. So it, he's another character where it's like his personality he is, is completely... really the anti-Hal here. He is he's a completely he's just this like chatty, chirpy. Hey, buddy, let's hang out. Let's be landers here's what's going on he's like the exact opposite of the personality that we've seen from from this version of him. yeah i mean he's even different from his you know his his version in the main dc universe not always very nice not always very talkative but apparently what we gather is he's a scientist saw the energy burst and the manhunter attack he saved hal and he wants to go ahead and you know learn more about other green lanterns he thinks that hal has been a green lantern for a while so he's just throwing out all these questions all these statements and then he catches himself he's like oh i'm sorry i have so many questions for you but as a scientist i must and, and please don't be offended so we've got Woke Kilowog, please don't be offended. I must ask, what breed of alien are you? And he, he kind of looks up and uh, Hal is like, I am um, uh, Earth human. And Kilowog's like, that's incredible. I've never heard of an Earth human before. But as I said, we're very isolated here out of necessity. Now, I have one more very important question for me personally. The, the ring was passed on to me after the death of my predecessor. I have so little to go on, just stories, folk uh, folk tales of the core. First time we're hearing about a core. Um, can, can you teach me? I mean, can you teach me how to be a true Green Lantern? So they just got awkwardly stare at each other and Hal's like, uh, what? And Kilowog is like, I know I'm, I'm asking a lot, but I thought in return for and Hal cuts him <laughs> off. He's like, I, I don't know anything. I mean, this ring, I just found it. I don't even know what it is. And Kilowog is like, how, how, how is that even possible, man? And Hal is, you know, he's feeling just really awkward right now. Kind of put it on the spot. Look, I, I'm sorry. I don't know what to tell you. I don't even know how I'm understanding what you're saying. <laughs> And Kilowog is like, impossible. No one but a powerful and skilled lantern could have done what you did. And he's like, did what? And Kilowog looks at him and he's like, you killed a manhunter. And Hal is like, oh, what? Before we go any further, I think this is actually one of the funniest exchanges I've 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 read in in a, in a comic recently on the show. Yeah, I, I enjoyed this quite a bit, like especially I mean, if you're Hal and you see this other Green Lantern guy showing up, you're like, all right, finally, someone can tell me what the hell's going on here. And then you realize this guy, he's he's just like he's like the equivalent of a little kid just like looking for a mentor, thinks he found one in Hal Jordan. He's like, oh, this guy's an expert. This guy killed a manhunter. Of course, this guy's going to be my guide. And then they each just realize like, oh, no, we're neither of us are what the other one expects here. I'm sorry. Who's the director from Thor Ragnarok? The New Zealand dude. Uh, Taiko, Taiko Watiti. Yeah, Taiko Watiti. I would love for him to play the voice of Kilowog. Like, hi, I'm Kilowog. I'm a Green Lantern. <laughs> I've been here for a while. You killed a man hunter, mate. Like, you're a human. That's cool. Can you teach me? That would be hilarious. Yeah. But perfect casting. Yeah. But anyway, they, they turn around. Almost as good as uh, John C. Riley as D Man. Yes. Probably our best casting yet. Kevin Feige, call us. We're full of ideas. <laughs> but uh, they, they turn around and they see that Kilowog has his own, you know, uh, 
decommissioned manhunter in the corner all strung up and he's like you know it's a manhunter i gather the remains from where i found you and i study it you know for weaknesses for any flaw i've never seen a real one before but i mean are you saying you didn't defeat it and hal's like listen man i, I just fought it and i just you know i did the thing the thing man Look, before I woke up here, I, I thought it had killed me. I know nothing about your lanterns. This robot thing attacked. I mean, it, it, it could have destroyed our ship. I just acted on instinct. You know, I, I guess I had the tool, you know, and I just used it to fight him. So Kilowog is like, well, it's been a long time since I heard of anyone standing up to the Manhunters, none the, uh, much less killing one. And Hal is freaking out. He's like, are there more of these things? Mark, how about you take this page real fast? Uh, where Kilowog explains the whole situation. Yeah, that one while I COVID cough into the corner. <laughs> sure thing. Well, yeah, uh, Kilowog at this point kind of takes over the exposition uh, to explain things uh, both to Hal as well as uh, to us, the audience. But he basically explains, he, he's like, well, but this this Earth world but, but it must be pretty far away if you don't know about uh, the Manhunters and, and the Guardians and all this stuff. Uh, but he explains that uh, basically, uh, yeah, if you don't know the tyranny of the Manhunters. So he basically explains that the Green Lantern Corps were once based on the central world of Oa. He call he says that they were the peacekeepers, but that was a long time ago before my uh, my being um, uh, Kilowog, his great great grandfather was born. He said the Manhunters then rose up and killed them all and scattered the rings throughout the galaxy. He said I just have mine because mine was passed down uh, through gen- from generation to generation, and I've heard there are others. Uh, but he, and he says some are, some say that the Owens uh, also created the Manhunters too, but we don't really know for sure. There, there's many many stories, so that basically brings us uh, to where we are what my question here for Kilowog is if if his ring was passed down for generations why didn't any of the people that pass it down to you teach you a little bit more about it that's some bad that's, that's some bad homeschooling right there but that is some terrible homeschooling they figured he'd just learn a green lantern school eventually meanwhile they don't realize the school has been shut down and has been doing distance learning for the last you know the last few uh few decades don't cry for me california um and that's another thing that, that we kind of mentioned earlier. Kilowog mentions that it's been passed down through his family. What, what this really solidifies is that unlike the mainstay DC universe where the ring chooses its holder, once again, we have another example of somebody who might be worthy for it. But really, this this is just a tool. It's just a thing. It doesn't make anyone more special. Yeah, and I, I like that. Like, okay, like the ring doesn't choose you. Like, it's not Thor's hammer. You're not necessarily worthy. But they also do, again, it's more show, not tell. So they never tell you, like, the ring is choosing Hal Jordan. Because it doesn't. Hal just kind of gets it. But they do show you through his actions and through Kilowog's surprise at, at how he was able to defeat a Manhunter. Now, maybe it's because this was like a, a a Manhunter that had already been a bit in a big battle uh, with Abin Sur. And it was already kind of, you know, maybe on its last legs. But still, the reason Hal was able to defeat it and do this was because he was able to act instinctually with the ring. So they still kind of show you and maybe imply that there is some specialness to Hal, the fact that he was able to use this ring, even if he was just acting on instinct, even if he really didn't know what the hell he was even doing, he was able to defeat this Manhunter, and that was impressive enough to Kilowog that he had assumed before this conversation that, of course, this guy's an experienced Green Lantern. This guy's amazing. He can defeat a Manhunter. So it is showing you, again, showing you, not telling you so much that in some some way, Hal is kind of special here. Yeah. 
And we continue, uh, Kilowog and Hal agreed to teach each other what they do know from what they've experienced. And they go up and they, and they just go out and they start flying. They're getting some practice in. And next thing you know, they start racing each other. And Hal actually cracks a smile. And he's like, man, this is this is actually pretty awesome. And he goes over and flies next to Kilowog. And he's like, you know, what I just realized this is what I've always wanted. And you just see them flying. I mean, the the way the green energy kind of bursts around them. I I like this better than what I've ever seen from Green Lantern in other comics. The way the energy kind of flows is kind of like flashes lightning, so to speak. This is the best way that I've ever seen it because it looks it, it looks fantastic. That's the best way I could describe it. And as they're flying around this cold, dark, icy world, it looks like. It looks like something you'd see on screen. And what's even funnier is they've got their own like little Rocky montage. I mean, you see them learning how to blow shit up and Hal's hitting the wrong target and they're flying and they're 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 fighting big space monsters and stuff. So some time has gone by. And what we see is that um, this this feels like the scene out of a movie. This is like the uh, the the learn. This is when you get the Tom Petty like learning to fly. And then we see the montage <laughs> of Hal and Kilowog just flying around space and blasting out ice and just just having a fun time this is two buddies getting to know each other and Hal getting to finally experience what he maybe he didn't even realize he's always wanted was to be just zipping and flying around space yeah it's fun and meanwhile, um, back at Bolivax Vic, it's the Home Guard headquarters. So these are Kilowog's people. They see that these two have been flying around and they're like, uh oh, something's happened. We recognize those rings. Um, eventually, Hal and uh, Kilowog, they, you know, they're camping and they're actually questioning who should have the, the Green Lantern lantern because if one of them doesn't have it that means they'll never be able to charge their rings again so as they're having this discussion we see that basically some of these uh Bolivac space cops pull down i mean come down out of nowhere and they're like stand down kilowog you know the rules you may uh or maybe you don't since you're flagrantly breaking them by using that ring now step aside we're here for the alien and as they're talking, they're basically like, listen, you're, you're going to bring a lot of danger to us. Don't you know that, you know, this could potentially bring a lot of problems here, not just with the ring, but with a human like this is we, we got to arrest you. So as this is happening, uh, Kilowog is basically like, you're just not going to take him. And at this point, we could basically tell they're going to start fighting until basically you have um these lasers just come down. It's almost like a scene in a movie where it's like, you can't take him. Let's fight. Even though we're both, we both have a good moral claim to why we're doing this. Uh, lasers start coming from the sky. They look up and it's a whole bunch of manhunters. They look like sentinels from X-Men and they're just blowing the shit out of everybody. So they go around, they end up, um, you know, just killing like half those space cops. I mean, it's like vicious murder. And then as we, uh, look back up into the sky, we see this giant space, space fight i mean it looks freaking awesome i cannot describe how awesome it looks like this looks like something out of an imax film in space yeah i mean the art continues to be the big strength here of of this uh, i mean i'm enjoying the story as well but the art just stands out uh so much to me you really see a lot of these space battles like in 
in ways that we just don't you typically see them portrayed. Like, I mean, and even in this panels, like where you see the, the space battle and all this, like the blue energy of the Manhunters, the green energy of the lanterns, uh, it still feels dark and gritty, even with all this flashy, these flashy lights all around. So they really do a good job of keeping this, this feeling of space as this really dark, treacherous, gritty place, uh, even while lighting the whole place up with like, with amazing colors and really showing you this, this I guess this, IMAX-esque battle, as, as you kind of described it there. Yeah. Uh, anyway, we go back to the battle. Kilowog is being basically pinned down by a bunch of Manhunters. They're about to murder him until Hal is able to swiftly grab him. And much like earlier, where he just sped off into space, he's he's holding Kilowog, and they fall on another planet. And as Kilowog is looking around, he's like, wait, where are we? And Hal's like, man, I just used basically all my energy to get out of here. And long story short, Kilowog is like, no, man, I got to go back. Those Manhunters, they're just not coming for me. They're going to kill my entire planet. And I, I need to go back. And Hal's like, are, are you serious? Like, we, we still don't know our full powers. And they tried to arrest us. I mean, if we're going to fight them and have any hope, we need help from, like, I don't know. But it, it can't be us. And, and Kilowog just looks at him. He doesn't say anything. And he flies back. And Hal's like, you can't go back. It's suicide. At least let me go with you. And before he could finish the sentence, Kilowog just blasts off into the sky. So now Hal is trying to really figure out, like, man, what, what's my next move? And, as he's trying to figure it out, he looks around and ironically, like this is the one criticism I have. Hal just kind of finds things much like he finds the ship. <laughs> he turns around and he sees an ancient city and uh, his ring is giving him some readings. And basically this ancient city on this other random ice planet was once underwater. And he has some uh, some flashbacks of when he was at NASA and what you actually see is him doing a, a test in one of those giant NASA pools where they stick the shuttle underwater in order to simulate um, another environment. So basically what, what they're trying to show is that Hal is touching back into that explorer side of him. But what we also see is that uh, in the flashback, it kind of moves around a little bit from when NASA was bought out by Ferris. And apparently during one of the missions, something happened because he's talking to somebody on a ship. And next thing we see a giant explosion. All we can gather from that is that, you know, Hal has kind of a chip on his shoulder from something. We're still going to figure that out. But anyway, he pulls over um, to the side of this building and he sees the giant lantern logo. And what we hear behind him is somebody says uh, Penelops and Hal turns around and he sees um, he sees Kilowog there. And Hal's like, what? And uh, Kilowog is like, Penelops was the Green Lantern of this sector. This was his world, Penelo. They sound almost the same. I think the ring is a hard time translating their language. Penelops of Penelo. That's a hell of a name. Yeah. Right there. But basically what they have just found is the remnants of another Green Lantern layer, so to speak, and another civilization. And basically this is a result of the Manhunters killing everyone. So, I mean, this is this is some serious like genocidal level shit we're dealing with because they don't just go after the lanterns. They go after everybody. Yeah, indeed. I mean, the, it, it, this all just seems to happen so fast, you know, like, like it's not necessarily a, a criticism. It might be a little bit of a criticism, but it's, it's, this feels like it's all the same within like the same four hours. I mean, we don't know how, how, how uh, long Hal was kind of out of it on, uh, on Kilowog's world there, but you know, one minute he's mining in space. Next minute he's battling a manhunter. Next minute he's learning to be a, a green lantern. And suddenly he's on this way other planet in the dev in, you know, in the wake of the manhunter devastation, 
I mean, you could imagine that maybe that scene where him and Kilowog are, are like flying around and learning to use the ring. That that's maybe that's a montage over several weeks, so maybe he's gotten accustomed to it. But in terms of us reading the story, especially because it's not broken up, uh, which I do like about it, I like that it's not broken up in issues because there wasn't weren't issues here. These are released, I believe, just as they are, as as one long volume each time. Um, but that that makes it kind of just feel like wow, we're just zipping through this whole thing. Yeah, which is not a complaint necessarily. It's just it's just an observation. Yeah, I mean, I really have to skip around a lot here because there's one, one, there's not a lot of dialogue and there's a lot of panels that have those montage type scenes. Like the next one where basically like Kilowog and Hal Jordan have to go from planet to planet to find rumors of... Uh, other Green Lanterns. It's almost like if this is the first time we really get the sense of the passing of time just because they do show them like I, I kind of like it, it kind of harkens to like Star Wars like or like the Mandalorian like they're going to different planets kind of like in disguise. They're not really dressed as superheroes. They kind of have these like ragged raggedy clothes on like the one scene the the bird is like the bartender's like this blue bird type creature. And like Moss like, Eisley oh, Cantina. Yeah, it basically feels like the Moss Eisley Cantina and this is where it, it finally feels like all right there's Time is passing here. They're on a journey. They're on an adventure. Um, maybe it's not the same day. But up until this point, it really felt like this could all be the same day for, for all I can tell. Yeah. I mean, if this was a regular series, this one volume would have been stretched out across like a dozen issues at minimum. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But anyway, they, they end up on this other planet. Uh, it's more of a foresty planet as they're trying to figure out what's poisonous to eat and what not to eat. You see this other alien this this orange skinned blonde haired alien uh, woman comes out with her own green lantern ring uh she she uses her ring to create a construct and, and i forgot to mention for people who don't know what they're called like the green lantern blast when they actually create things with their imagination are called constructs so she basically creates these claws to grab kilowog and uh hal jordan and they're like hey like you know we're, we're green lanterns we need your help and she replies, those rings mean nothing. I've seen your kind before. Your bandits, nothing more. Finding a weapon doesn't make you a warrior. And we know about war. And as you know, she lights up the space around them, you see this giant tribe of people uh, with bows and arrows, you know, basically ready to fire at Kilowog and Hal. And Hal's like, listen, you're right. We're not warriors, but like we, we need we, we need help because basically um, to cut through like an entire page. We need you because we all know what we're doing and his planet's under attack and it's kind of my fault, but not really. And you seem to be the only one that knows what they're doing. So you mind helping us out? And she's like, I, I don't know what to tell you at this point, man. But I do know somebody that can go ahead and provide some help. So they go back to another planet <laughs> and they're basically sitting down with this person who's going to go ahead and tell them the story of the Guardians. This feels super Star Wars now, the more I think about it, like super Star Wars Mandalorian, that that classic, you know, every time we find someone who can help us, they're going to send us to another planet to talk to somebody else. And we might have to solve a, a riddle or another adventure along the way. But we're going to we're moving throughout space, meeting various characters uh, to try to finally get to the end goal. And and basically they find this other alien. He was at one point a Green Lantern himself. And what he tells them is that um, the the guardians who created the Green Lantern Corps, they had a split 
And what one of them wanted to do was basically control the galaxy. So he created the Manhunters and the Manhunters were better than the Lanterns. And as that became a giant, powerful threat to them, he used the Lanterns to kill all the Manhunters. So basically the Guardians were split. So Kilowog and Jordan are like, wait a second. So the Guardians who created the Green Lanterns also created the Manhunters. And the guy's like, yeah, and you're basically screwed and your whole planet's going to die. I can't really help you. So at this point, um, you know, Kilowog and... Jordan, they're just really depressed and they're at this space bar drinking. And at this point, he's like, listen, man, like I, I want to ask, like, what's what's with you? Why are you such an asshole to somebody to paraphrase lightly? And Jordan basically says that, you know, I, I went to space because I wanted to explore the world. But what ended up happening was the platform I was on, the Arrowhead, it was a defense platform. And long story short, something happened and it blew up and everyone died. But Jordan. So. Um, at this point, you know, they're just drinking, they're sad. And by the way, they also mentioned just, just flippantly, oh, and both our rings are dead. Nobody's going to translate any of this. So they're just drinking. And at one point it's funny cause you see, you see Kilowog's dialogue. It changes from English to alien real fast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love that. I love that. And then he's and Hal's just like, oh God. And th- on this too, like, like things couldn't get worse now. Now we can't even understand each other. <laughs> so, all right. Screw it. Yeah. And what makes it worse is that um, a whole bunch of manhunters come down and they start attacking the space bar. And Jordan, I mean, he's just a regular human. He gets knocked out real fast. Uh, what we see is that the manhunters, they're not going to kill everyone this time. They're actually going to go ahead and enslave everybody. So Jordan and the others are just taken to this random planet that's been taken over. They're sent to these mines and they're given pickaxes and they're just being turned into slaves. And it's not just a day because over the next couple pages, Hal grows this giant John Carter beard and he's looking around and, you know, some of the manhunters are just killing people. Others are just looking around like nothing's happening. So this is not a good situation. They are literally slaves. Yeah, I mean, not long ago he was he was a zipping around through space with his new pig-like alien buddy, having a good old time, and uh, yeah, things are not going in the right direction. This, this felt very feels very uh, Exo Manowar to me too. Um, just you know, yeah. him growing the beard and just just kind of working in the mines, waiting for uh, we presume waiting for the right opportunity to uh, to strike out and, and get out of here. Although there's no indication that Hal's been thinking that. I mean, he's really not used to being a hero as opposed to uh, Arik of Dacia, who was a hero even before he was a superhero he was a hero just in in Dacia you know fighting the Romans he was a heroic person whereas Hal was just a space explorer mining guy who didn't want to go back to earth uh so I don't know if he's he's, he seems like he might just be more resigned to the fact he's going to be picking away in the mines here for the rest of his life yeah and uh you know after maybe like let's just say a couple of months um something starts to happen he starts to actually understand what the aliens are saying. And at first he's like, what's going on? Am I going crazy or am I really understanding them? Then one night while he's sleeping, he actually sees that the ring is starting to lighten up and uh, he just notices it, but he's going to keep it under wraps because he doesn't want anyone to really notice. And he doesn't know if it's at full power yet. You think it's weird they let him keep the ring or they didn't fully strip search him, you know, before they put him into the slave camp. The manhunters must have, that's the big plot hole for me. They must have their own like TSA equivalent. <laughs> the very ineffective, as ineffective as take the toothpaste, yeah. let the gun go through. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Hal had to leave his uh, <laughs> Hal had to leave his, all his liquids behind. He couldn't bring his water up with him, but he could get the ring still in his pocket. Yeah. 
Um, but anyway, Hal is mining and this giant alien creature comes over and he's like, you stole my spot, pale stick man. And Hal, and Hal is like, what? And the guy's like, you must think. And Hal starts just yelling at him. He's like, this isn't your spot and you know it. And the guy's like, ah, the pale stick talks. We will fix this. So just before he's about to get crushed by this alien, Hal uses the ring and blasts him. I mean, it's it's a pretty epic punch right there. And everyone is just looking around like, uh, what just happened? And Hal realizes he done screwed up because what immediately happens is um, another alien grabs him to throw him around the corner as the Manhunters are coming in to quell the fight because she knows that that ring uh, is obviously doing something because he was able to do that. So she basically arranges uh, this this octopus lady arranges basically like, hey, I'll help you get out of here if you help me get out of here so they end up uh slipping out in the middle of the night um you know they're they're talking about how to escape and as um you know they're talking she basically can this is what's kind of stupid she basically convinces hal to let his guard down and next thing you know as they're sleeping he wakes up and the ring is gone and she's basically stolen it so he looks around and he's like ah shit so um, she's off back near this other camp. She's holding the ring and she's like, oh, come on, charge. She doesn't know how to actually use it. So Hal, you know, finds her and he's like, listen, you, you got to be really careful of that. And, uh, you know, they, they start fighting because she wants to keep it. And he's like, no, you don't know what you're doing. And she's like, shut up. I'm going to go ahead and keep it. She blasts the side of the building. And next thing you know, the Manhunters come. And what do they do to her? They freaking just disintegrate her it's actually a pretty nasty scene of the octopus lady so she dead she did she did octopus lady it was not it was nice knowing you like three pages uh meanwhile hal is just basically the the most female we've gotten in this whole series though except for the chick on the on the uh the spaceship in the yeah but just like everything else what is hal's real power randomly finding things that side of the (laughs) building that she accidentally blew up as he's running away from the manhunters has a gigantic giant ass green lantern so he goes and aims the ring at it and it's supercharged him it's that iphone on max he is getting full power out of that and what ends up happening is he sees the construct of a guardian and what this guy is basically doing is he's telling him that you know the guardians messed up they got too power hungry they went ahead and they wanted to save the galaxy but in their pursuit of their own ego and power that's what's launched the this whole situation of the manhunters and it was a giant regret so it's basically like a ghost obi-wan moment but with a blue midget i do i do like like all the different aliens here i think they do a really good job of giving you these uh very distinct sort of different styles of aliens like it it just adds to um the lore of green lantern but like the lore and the 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 wider mythological feel of what we're getting here like this does not feel like a small story like it's it seemed like it might have been in the very beginning uh it feels like we're just opening up uh opening us up to this huge universe uh and in a very much we keep saying star wars but that's that's because that's what it feels like i mean this feels like we're we've just dived headfirst in the into a sort of a Star Wars outer space, completely outside of this Earth universe. Here, uh, uh, the only thing remotely keeping us you know, close to too grounded is just the fact that Hal Jordan himself is just figuring this all out himself too at the same time. Yeah, 
And I mean, the next couple pages, this is one of those things where you, you're really going to benefit if you actually pick up this copy. Uh, he's supercharged, right? Because of the giant ring and the little alien man, the guardian kind of telling him like, you're our lost hope, Hal Jordan. You have to do this. Uh, he gets out and the manhunters are about to start killing him. And he's just like, you know, I just got to do it. So he's like blasting them like freaking John Wick. And he's just going after tons and tons of manhunters. And while he's, you know, he's he, he's a little bit intimidated by this, he's kicking their ass and he's able to escape. But what's even better is eventually he's able to go ahead and catch a few breaths. And what he realizes is that his ring can go ahead and contact all the other lanterns. So what he basically does is he is able to actually for the first time in probably their entire lives reach out to every person with a green lantern ring and basically tell them, listen, you don't know who I am. You have no reason to trust me, but here's what's going on. Uh, we're the last of our people who can defend the universe that these manhunters are destroying and enslaving. And if you can hear me, let me tell you, I got this giant lancer, not bragging about it. I happen to be the first person to be supercharged. And if you want to go ahead and, you know, free your people and save yourselves, meet me here like in star Wars and uh, let's fight. So he goes back and he's like, I hope that work. And he's fighting uh, manhunters, except these giant red, like super tank manhunters come out and they just start socking him. And when the one punches him, like you look at Jordan's face and it's just not pretty at this point, all these other lanterns are showing up. You have the one lantern that looks like a gerbil. You've got one that's like a floating <laughs> eye octopus thing. And uh, that that thing's creepy. And then Kilowog shows up and he's like, ah, I just needed your location, buddy. And he destroys a manhunter. And at this point, like the next couple pages are just these giant fights. You even see some pilots come down with their own spaceships and they're launching missiles. It's explosions. It's it's a. Uh, um, who's the guy that did Transformers? Michael Bay. It's it's Michael, Michael Bay. Bay Green Lantern. And next, you know, out of nowhere, you see the the orange skin, angry chick from the woods. She's there. You've got a dude that kind of looks like a testicle and a whole bunch of other lanterns. And they're just like, screw it. Yippee Kaye, motherfucker. And they're just blasting them. And these are full page spreads at this point. And it's just this is some of the coolest space battle action in a comic you will ever witness. Yeah, it's awesome. It's absolutely awesome. I mean, the, I love the arrival of all the lanterns, uh, just seeing the the space diversity, if you will. This is a, like you said, it's a very woke book. Uh, <laughs> a lot of diversity, a lot of caring about feelings and that sort of thing. But uh, no, this is it's just so much fun uh, seeing all these aliens come together and and really lay it to these manhunters and just just this is the kind of book you gotta see. Like like our description is one thing, but so much of this book is visual and the visuals are are badass. Yeah, and, and at this point, all the all the other all the lanterns, the the great giant, awesome, diverse lantern army right there. They're like, okay, like, you know, we're kicking a lot of ass right now, but there are a ton of manhunters here and we've got this giant lantern. What do we do? So uh, the one chick um, who, whose name I, I think Aria, she ends up basically getting everyone around and they're like, Hey, what if we all supercharge our rings and the lantern? Because we can survive it, but it'll kill everything else. So all the lanterns point their ring to the giant lantern. They supercharge it. And what it does is it basically creates this giant explosion, killing all the manhunters. And it's, it's awesome. And at this point, you know, the, the explosion is there. They're all looking around and Jordan is just like, am I alive? And Kilowog looks around. Uh, my and, question <laughs> is here. I, we, we see I'm sorry. I'm just ranting. This is just, this is just cool. 
I, what I was thinking here, though, like, yeah, we see it. It is badass. I mean, we, we see it destroys. The, and it's a pretty good. It's a pretty good idea. Uh, instead of just fighting all these things all day long, let's just like have a giant explosion that we all know we can survive. So uh, that's a good idea and seems to work pretty well. But I'm thinking, OK, the, yeah, the Manhunters are all getting killed here. And uh, the Green Lanterns, they're, they're surviving because they're Green Lanterns. What about all these slaves? Oh, wow. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I mean they, they show us. They, they, they show us <laughs> later. But at, at the time, I'm like, did they think of that? Yeah. Uh, speaking of which, I mentioned the, the gerbil Green Lantern. His name is Vecca. He was the guardian earlier that told Kilowog and Jordan how all this happened. He, he decided to be brave and come down. And as everyone is celebrating, the one... Is he supposed to be a guardian, too? He, he was supposed to have worked with the guardians. I don't think he's... A, okay, I don't yeah, think he's Kind of, it kind of looks like he's short, like they are, but is also like the, a he, he's a hamster thing, scene, so. you know. The yeah, the, the, guard, like the guardians guardian. are very are, are very racially intolerant. They don't let anyone who's not a short blue person into the guardians. But he was he <laughs> yeah. was there, and basically maybe he was one of their pets, like Splinter. Like uh, he learned enough by by being around them, and then he became. Well, well, he gets to have his Obi One moment of sh- of short because everyone's celebrating the one manhunter who survived blows a hole through his chest. So you know they actually they don't answer that. I okay because I thought that maybe there's the scene where they show, um, you know they show the, the lanterns all leaving like in their little energy fields, and I thought that this was him trying to get everybody else off the planet. But no, I think this is all land. Now maybe it is. It, it was maybe part of the planet. But anyway, okay. Vec has been shot, and he's like, "Listen, I we we all came here because someone stood up, passed this ring on, and please help." So that's his Obi Wan moment. And what this also shows is, again is that the ring can't choose; the lanterns have to choose themselves. So as the lanterns are fleeing the planet because of another swarm of manhunters coming. Over the next couple pages, we see that for every deceased lantern, Kilowog and Jordan are going to new planets, freeing them and finding the bravest amongst them to give the lanterns on to. So now they're freeing all these planets. We were introduced to a couple of other guys that we know from the main state comics, uh, Sinestro and uh, a few other folks, Arissa. Um, Arissa, who was the, the orange skins warrior woman, she's nominated to lead the new core by Hal herself. So they're like, listen, she's the biggest warrior above us. She helped us on the other planet. Let's have her do it. I like that. They didn't just make it Hal too. Yeah. Yeah. Hal's not, that, not that, that would ha- be too obvious and didn't doesn't wouldn't as ma- have made as much old sense. school Hal in the con- in the regular DC universe would have would have totally made it himself. But anyway, now we're at this point where uh, we see a guardian somewhere in the universe. And, um, you know, at this point, what we can tell is that, yeah, the one guardian who's left is the guardian who created the Manhunters. And now all the Manhunters are gone. So he walks out and he's like, you know what? There's only one way I'm going to be able to actually bring true control and, uh, you know, authority to the universe. And he walks out. And what we see is a giant army of yellow lanterns. Indeed. So that so. that leaves us at that cliffhanger. And just to just to wrap it up. And this this is the same guardian that Hal saw like inside the battery. Yeah, it was right? the one basically saying, what are you doing, man? Who do you think you are? You can't do this and everything else. I, I, I jumped around. It was a, it was a lot of dialogue for that area, which is why, folks, you got to pick this up. But anyway, the one evil guardian alive, the guy who made the Manhunters and all the Manhunters are dead. So what he has is his backup plan, the Yellow Lanterns. Uh, now we're back to the solar system we were at at the beginning of the issue. We see Jordan has his own lantern. He's back on that asteroid where he found everything and he set up a small memorial for uh, Volkov. And he goes back down to Earth for the first time in almost a decade. And at this uh, at this point, Jordan goes back to the captain 
of his team. And he, he surprises her. She turns around and she's like, Jordan, is that really you? And uh, at this point, he's like, listen, there's, we're going to see these giant, these giant uh, threats coming and we've got threats on earth. And what we can basically see is that earth and, and they don't really go into too much detail, but earth is basically under this military regime of sorts, because now, you know, Jordan has spent all this time liberating other planets from the Manhunters. Now he basically wants to free mankind. And, you know, he looks there and he's like, listen, we don't have the tools to fight back, but now we have the tools. And as he pulls out his ring from under uh, his pocket, he lights up and we see for the first time in the entire volume, the Green Lantern symbol actually on his chest. And he looks while while different from the mainstay Hal Jordan. This is the closest he's going to get to looking like the traditional Green Lantern. And uh, that that is the end of volume one. Indeed it is. And we get the the standard uh, sketchbook afterwards here in, in, in the graphic novel, which I always find fun to, to flip through and just see what they're going through in, in the design process along the way. Yeah, I, I can tell you, I wrote a review for secondprintcomics.com about volume two. It picks up almost immediately after this, but it is a. Uh, it is it is awesome. So as somebody that would not call themselves a big Green Lantern fan, what I can say is that I'm a fan of this book and will continue to collect all future volumes of it. This book showed me enough to make me want to read the next volume. So uh, I will do that likely at some point after I get through the 20 other things that uh, I'm trying to go through, some of which are for our patrons on a uh, future Claire Continues. But uh, uh, yeah, this was uh, I really enjoy this. And you want me to go right into my my grades or. Yeah. Yeah. Be my guest. Go ahead. All right. Let's see. What am I going to grade this? Well, let's start with the art here, because to me, the art is really what stood out in this book more than anything else. Uh, I had not heard of the artist beforehand, and uh, I would like to see more from them because the art was fantastic. I mean, the art was it really portrayed space in uh, like we've said several times uh, not to, to beat this this dead space horse here, but it makes space feel feel gritty, feel real, and yet still spectacular and have that, you know, spectacular sci-fi feel to it that you, that you want in a, an escapist work like this. Uh, and also I just, I really liked how it just turned into like, it had everything. It came in and become like a buddy, a buddy, buddy cop adventure with uh, Kilowog and Hal. Uh, it became sort of a, a hero space journey as they travel from space bar to space bar, meeting different aliens. Um, and even though those sections were all truncated, they they gave me the feel, the epic feel that I that I needed. Where as before, the pacing kind of just seemed like, whoa, is this all in one day? Uh, so that helped kind of flesh things out and make it feel longer, while not making my read any longer. You know, a lot of this stuff was done effectively in just a few panels. Um, so it, and so much is just done through the artwork, uh, but whether it's a, the sad puppy dog look on Hal Jordan's face when he's not allowed back in the space station, uh, or whether you know it's just just this is interactions with everything. You can see Hal's thought process uh, when he's learning to use the ring uh, more so than you need to hear him telling you his thought process. Uh, so I thought the art was just incredibly incredibly effective here um, to the point I'm, I'm going to give the art a four point five. Like I'm, I'm not ready to go full five because that. You know, that's, I got to reserve those for some special artists and some special moments, but this is really darn close. And I was incredibly impressed by the artwork here. I mean, that, that just, it just carries the whole thing. And I don't want to say carries because that, that almost sounds like the writing is, is bad and, and certainly not, but, but the art is absolutely the strength here. I mean, the art does so much of the storytelling on its own. Um, so yeah, I'll give a 4.5 for the art and then the story. I like the story a lot. I think it's really well done. I think maybe the biggest complaints one might have about the story it's not my complaint, but it's something we touched on in the beginning that is this really another version of Hal Jordan or is this just 
a cool Green Lantern story that could have been Hal Jordan and could not have. And I guess this is just that fine line of, of you know, like to me, Ultimate Universe Peter Parker. It was clearly a different Peter Parker because we're seeing a new origin story and he's got maybe he's got a cell phone now or something. But it still really felt like Peter Parker, whereas this did not feel like Hal Jordan to me uh, so much um, elements of it, aspects of it. But to me, this kind of just if you called this guy some other name, no one would have thought, oh, no, this is Hal Jordan. You would have just thought it was a different a different character. So um, that's not really a complaint of mine, but it's a complaint. I imagine a lot of maybe hardcore Green Lantern or Hal Jordan fans may have if they're just looking for a new Hal Jordan. So I'm not going to really I'm not going to really nick the nick the score on that. Um, but overall, I would say I, I found the writing enjoyable. I, I thought it was well done. If anything, the pacing just seemed a little too fast in the beginning, but I think that was a little bit made up for by how they stretched the story out, uh, made it feel like a little larger, and a little grander in scope as things went along. So I'm going to give the writing, why don't we say a 3.5, a, a very good, I would say. So 3.5 plus 4.5, my quick, uh, very, very hardly college educated math tells me that is a total of an eight. A pretty damn good score. I think, you know, for for this being a, a book that I picked, I think you're actually giving it a higher score than I will, but only slightly. Oh. For the art, I'm going to give it a solid four. Um, it really... It, it makes itself distinct from what I had expected from Green Lantern on screen, on paper, and in animation. It's original, but it felt incredibly fresh at the same time. And the way that they're what's, able to scale. What's funny is is that I, I kind of had myself at a four going in. You know, I, I I don't like to really grade till I'm done, but I, sometimes I have like, I'll probably give it this. But I talked myself into a four and a half through over the last hour and a half or so, because I so many times I found myself saying, wow, the art, you know, the art here, the art there. And I really just realized how how important the art, how integral the art was, not just to the art, but to the actual story and to the writing itself. So that's what ended up, I think, bumping my grade up. I, I can't tell you that uh, volume two of this, it's the same it's the same creative team, but you could tell the, the artist had some time to practice and stuff because it's actually better. If you wow. thought if okay, you, yeah, really like it, it is is actually like I was really impressed, uh, but I'm going to give it a four really good, really fresh, clean cut manages to t- to make this feel like a brand new world that you've I mean, you look at it and it's like you're seeing certain things for the first time again. We're nerds. We're geeks. We've seen space fights and aliens, but they managed to actually make it feel uh, incredibly fresh and new. Um, the story, I'm going to give a story a three point five for three reasons. One uh pacing as we mentioned two i i don't really get um you know why they were able to create so many montage sequences throughout the pages that that made the pacing kind of strange i think that cut out a lot of story progression and three um and, and this is more of like a very personal thing i'm really nitpicking what i like about fiction is that fiction is the way in which we can go ahead and ultimately assess our world through the lens of the fantastic and what i will say i like about the green lantern mythos traditionally is that they have these giant fantastical supernatural uh, technologies and tools and magic and everything that highlight the inner workings of people who are the most with the, who are those with the best will among us, the most courage, the bravery, that type of stuff. And what it does is it allows 
people to highlight that in a way. Whereas of this, it's, as I mentioned, it's less the sword and the stone was just waiting for Arthur to come and it's more Frodo happens to get the ring. So it's also kind of a preference on that. What this shows is that Hal has a challenge and he has to choose to be a hero instead of just being summoned to be a hero. He has to choose it here. And through being a slave and through all the long journeys of Kilowog, you see that he really does do, especially when he's able to bring the Green Lantern Corps together. And when he chooses not to be the leader of the Corps and he has Arissa become the leader of the Corps. So it's still good in a way, but I think that's one of those elements that takes away some of that childlike charm away from it, which I think this book really tries to do because it tries to make it feel very gritty. It's almost like if Christopher Nolan produced Green Lantern, this is kind of what I'm expecting. So I'm going to go ahead and give it a 3.5. And to be consistent with past episodes, two of my big factors I look at is, is this good for new readers who have no knowledge of it? And is it good for older readers that have an understanding of it? And I think it gets good marks on both. It's just the pacing and some of the story elements that I think um, are only hampered because this is a single self-contained original story. So I'm giving the, the, the story portion of it a 3.5. So that way it's getting a 7.5 from me. Pretty darn close. Pretty darn close. I just went a little a little higher on the art because it just blew It's me breathtaking. Away. Like, really. It really is. So what held you back? I don't like the... Okay, I can tell you why. Tell me. That's why we're here. I don't, I don't, I don't like the faces. Okay. Well, that's a, that's worthy of a, a half a point deduction. I, I think, suppose. I think, uh, I, I think some of the character renderings are, are pretty nice throughout. I love the battles, but it's when you get to see the faces of characters, it's almost like they change page to page, like the expressions kind of do it, but it's almost like you can almost like if you pay it, if you don't pay attention enough, it's almost like you could forget which character you're looking at unless you've gone custom. like Hal is the only human. Then you've got Octopus Lady. Then you got Kilowog. Like they all look kind of different at certain points, and that—that's what bugged me. That's what was keeping me from giving it a five. I can't say though that for Volume Two of Green Lantern Earth One, that changes because I personally think it gets better. So, like teaser, if we do it again, I'm giving I'm I'm giving Volume Two a five, but this one it it's a four. We got a pre grade <laughs> if we ever do the next one. All right, fair enough. Well, I look forward to checking out Volume 2 because I'm definitely wanting to after reading this So are you sold on Earth 1 as a premise now? Because I know you own a couple copies. You just never cracked one open before this. (laughs) Yeah, I really got to read this Batman that I I bought uh, a few years ago and just never never read for some reason. So, um, yeah, I I liked it. I mean, all I can say is I like this story. So we'll see how I feel about other stories. But... um, yeah, I don't know why. Again, I don't know why I'm I'm much more open to this Earth one. I think it just comes down to the self-contained th- that they feel so much more accessible to me. That's always been my thing. Like, does this feel accessible to me, or is it going to feel overwhelming to me? Where, like, to me, it doesn't feel like that crazy to read uh, Green Lantern, Green Lantern Earth One, Volume One and Two, Batman Earth One, Volume. I don't know if there's two or three volumes, there's whatever two. it may be. Okay, each 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 hero. We're maybe talking uh, two or three volumes max. I could bang those all out in a couple of weeks where if I want to dive into the ultimate universe, like there's a lot there. Whereas I, I could have the entire Earth One universe done and, and and basically completed in in just a small amount of time. So it's not as it's not as um, it's not as it's not as sort of intimidating to me to dive into. And um, and it doesn't even feel like I need to dive into. Maybe you don't need to read a bunch of different books for the ultimate universe. Um, but, you know, reading that that ultimate Spider-Man story it was good and I enjoyed it as an introduction, but it felt like 
it felt like there were so many seeds planted there, like that I really had to keep going to find out where everything was going. Whereas here, even though I want to continue and I plan to read more, I could stop here and feel like I read a complete story or feel like I watched a whole movie and I'm I'm satisfied. I don't think I think I need to go get more to feel satisfied with this particular book, even if it does do the, the task of making me want more. Whereas with the ultimate stuff, they all have such such lores that that kind of stems out from each one. And I know the whole universe ends with Jonathan Hickman's Secret Wars anyway, that it almost feels like, eh, why bother diving into all this unless Remzo makes me read some of it? Which So that, that's where I'm I, I'm really hoping, I don't know if you knew this, but HBO Max is coming out with a original Green Lantern series that will be coming out. I am aware of this, and, yes. it, and that's unrelated to anything else we've yeah. seen. Just like the, it's the extended universe. Yeah, and it's going to have... Um, it's going to have, I think it's going to have John Stewart, Kyle Rayner, and Guy Gardner. So they're not going to have Hal Jordan. I think I heard there was a Jessica, what's her, what's her Jessica name? Cruz. Yeah. Jessica Cruz. Jessica yeah. Cruz is really cool. She's a recent character that came out in New 52. She's really cool. Um, I'm I'm a Jessica Cruz fan. Yeah, I, I am too. I'm a, just from uh, from what I've seen of her through Jeff Johns' uh, Justice League. I think is most of my my exposure to her. I think that's where we saw the origin of of that character. And yeah, that's just like another another example of how for whatever reason DC is able to keep all these various lanterns. I mean, it could you'd think it would get really old, like uh, another lantern, uh, and and it might like on the surface. But when you actually dive into any of the lanterns or any of the characters, like they are all they all keep them very unique and uh, you know very very much their own characters. It's not just like I'm the next green. Yeah, and, and I just want to bring this up. I, you know, the, the show will go for like an extra two minutes because I really want to get your thoughts on this. I think we've said it repeatedly. Uh, Hal Jordan is, I don't know what it is about Hal Jordan. I liked the story. I thought he was good in this. But one, like we mentioned, they could have just named him something else. Maybe an entirely new character. And as I'm thinking of what I want from this HBO Max Green Lantern show, it does not bother me at all that we're not going to have Hal Jordan. I don't know why, but just him alone in regular DC canon, I just... I, I don't know why I feel like I should like him more and especially this, but this is such a different version of what we're seeing. Like literally, I almost feel like for, for the sake of earth one, it should have just been an entirely different person. Yeah. I think for me, it's, it's more my, my relationship with Hal Jordan is just to me, the character has always seemed like a disaster, at least until Jeff Johns uh, kind of did the the uh, the rebirth, not the 2016 rebirth, but the the Hal Jordan rebirth or the Green Lantern rebirth. I think and I think it was maybe 2008, yeah. um, somewhere somewhere around there, uh, just like he did with the Flash. And he really revitalized Hal Jordan. But before that, for me. Hal Jordan was just this like mess of a character who used to be a Green Lantern, then became Parallax, then became something else. I think he became the Spectre at one point. He was just this strange character to me. He was never the Green Lantern of of old. Uh, so so I guess I never had a connection to uh, to this character as a hero. Um, I still really don't. I mean, it's it's really just stems from a lot of the, the the more modern Jeff John stuff I've read. But I have no you know no childhood nostalgic connection to Hal Jordan being Green Lantern yeah. at all. If I I have more of a connection to like to Guy Gardner and, and Kyle Rayner. I mean, those were the Green Lanterns uh, when I grew up. Those are the guys I thought were cool, whereas Hal Jordan was was off being Parallax and, and doing weird time crisis Yeah, things. and I mean, I, I really can't name it. Like, I like every other Green Lantern, even like Simon Baz and Alan Scott. Like, I like everyone more than Hal Jordan. I don't hate Hal Jordan. Like, I hate some characters, but like for some weird reason, it's like I, I just can't put my finger on it. He's just, he fails to be interesting. And even 
even when you want to change him for a new universe, they had to change literally everything about him except his name. Yep. It's yep. just, it's just, it's just weird. But yeah, those are my thoughts. So this might be actually my favorite Hal Jordan story. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it is mine. I don't own it. I, I like, I own some graphic novels, like from the main stuff. But it's more like because I like some of the characters that make cameos in there, not because oh, I really wanted this. Because other than this, this is the like. I don't really even know any Green Lantern comic books. This is really the only one I've ever liked. Yeah, I mean, I, I have liked a lot of what I've seen from Jeff John's stories with uh, with Hal Jordan, uh, you know, since that rebirth. But it always it has that feeling to me of like, man, I'm missing a lot because <laughs> there's just so much. He's built out so much lore from it, and he draws so much on, on the 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 mythological mythological past of the Green Lanterns and the Guardians, and it feels overwhelming. Whereas this story felt very simple, very straightforward. Maybe you could argue it's not even really a Hal Jordan story, uh, but it's probably one of my favorite Hal Jordan stories. Yeah, definitely. Well, Mark, that's all I got. That's all I got too. So what now? Let's let's. I guess I I guess we end. end oh, show. okay. Well, anyway, folks, we got that giveaway we mentioned. <laughs> We've got so much more. Support us. Let us give you the gift of entertainment and nerdly insights galore at patreon.com slash second print pod. And if you want cosplay picks, you want uh, fan films, you want reviews, you want insights from the nerd community across this great, fantastic world we live in, secondprintcomics.com, baby. That's all I got. I am Remster W. Martinez. I am the marvelous Mark Claire. Read comics, change the world. Good night, America. Adios. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.